happy Thanksgiving week to all you turkey trotters out there. And uh, yeah, my hometown, we don't really do uh, turkey trots. And actually, a fun fact about the town is that everyone shows up to the bar around 8 a.m. to tailgate for a local high school football game. Uh, but it is a rivalry game, and uh, it, they've been playing it for like 110 years, so it, it's warranted. Um, yeah, you know what they always say about home. It's your feet may leave, but not your heart. Or a bunch of people who want to drink first thing in the morning. Uh, this week, we have Crystal Bacon popping on the show with John and I to talk about running. And Crystal is fresh off of an Olympic qualifying marathon time, uh, which she ran 244 at the Indianapolis Marathon. Uh, but for Crystal, this was a long process in the making. And, and uh, she has a story of overcoming setbacks and pushing forward to accomplish this, these goals. So Crystal shares with us how to reevaluate your goals, how to add things to your training that will take you to the next level, and some awesome mental tricks that can help make you faster. And Crystal is also a distance running coach here at a Division One school. I'm um, sorry, Division Three school, right in the greater Philadelphia area, and and shares some of the key workouts and practices that she uses for her collegiate athletes that you can implement into your own training. So, with that, here is our episode with Crystal Bacon. Welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan, joined as always by John Williams. John, what's happening, dude? Hey, Rich. Hey, hello, everyone. Good man. You're up. You're up our way now, right? You're in uh, the little north northeast Jer- action, Jersey side, man. We're uh, visiting family for the for the holidays. Just getting a little bit, a little our little dose of uh, fall weather. It's been nice. This will be your winter. You can take this back. Yeah, it's significantly it's sixty it's seventy it's seventy five degrees back home. So, but it is honestly it is nice to be like have this reverse vacation. It's just refreshing, you know, because it's always warm in Florida. So. Oh, that that that's refreshing. Yeah, I guess so. Um, cool. And uh, enough weather talk for the day. And we have Crystal Bacon on with us today. Crystal, what's going on? Hello, guys. <laughs> Thank you for uh, having me on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. For joining us. So yeah, I was doing a little research and I actually was uh, creeping on your Facebook page a little bit as well. And I, I, I Googled your name and someone else posted on your wall what comes up when you Google your name, Crystal Bacon, like literally pieces of Crystal Bacon. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I wonder if he knows that that's what happens, but someone already someone already lets you know. Yes. Um, and there's also the, uh, we have an ornament that's like a Crystal Bacon. So it's like a piece of bacon that is crystal. So uh, that's something that will be going up whenever we start decorating for uh, the holidays. <laughs> that's I'm perfect. sure you've heard it all. I mean, with the last name Bacon, I'm sure you like, whenever I see something like that, I'm just like, I'm not even going to like try to be funny because at this point in your life, you've heard every joke <laughs> and every like, oh yeah, my, my name is Bacon. Let's hear it. Well, it wasn't, it, well it wasn't always Bacon, right? You, I was going to say, I was married in to the oh, you married into the Bacon. So it's it was something that I had to embrace. <laughs> yes, yes. Where'd yeah, did you, you have to like from? wrap your head around that? Where you're like, all right, like should I hyphen this? Or are we just gonna we're just gonna do the crystal bacon thing? I was always excited for that last what was, name. What was, your, I, what was your maiden name? It was Burnick. I do miss that, obviously, Burnick. but I went from a B to a B, so it was an easy yeah, transition. You kept your initials, that's nice. Yeah, so if you had like those LL Bean book bags, you could keep those with your name. <laughs> there you go. That's great. <laughs> that's really fortunate. Um Cool. So, Crystal, I've known you for a couple of years now, and you know, essentially, we've worked together at a capacity where you were working at a running store. I was working with Brooks, and you were running the show over there at All Kinds of Fast, um, right here outside of Philadelphia. And um, you know, when you work in the running industry, you kind of assume everyone is a runner at some capacity, and, and some people share more than others, so you know, kind of if they are fast or not. Um, 
But in your case, like you are unnecessarily humble. And like, I found out you were actually fast after I learned that you won like one of the biggest and most competitive races here in Philadelphia, the Broad Street 10 miler. Um, so that was what, in 2016? That was 2016. Yep. Yeah. Um, which was amazing. Like it's a really awesome lo- local accomplishment. But you, you recently, about two weeks ago, you um, accomplished another awesome uh, feat. So could you tell us in your most braggadocious way what you just <laughs> accomplished like two weeks ago? Uh, so I qualified for the Olympic trials in the marathon. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'll be traveling to Atlanta at the end of February. Um, but this is something that's been years in the making. Um, so bringing up Broad Street was actually an int- you know, it's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I actually had attempted the marathon distance uh, a few months prior to that and really did not have the first good experience at all. Um, so it was kind of riding a roller coaster of emotions of, all right, well, that didn't go well, but other things can go well. So Broad Street kind of was the like, all right, like I have more left in me. Uh, and kind of keep trying after that. So, and finally, everything came together on the day uh, two weeks ago. So, uh, the fueling, the just, I mean, I embraced the really cold temperatures. It was starting in the 20s uh, at the, you know, starting <laughs> temperature and probably went up to 30s, I think, at the highest uh, for that day. But everything just came together, uh, which it felt great to do, have that. What course was it, Crystal? So, it was in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, the, uh, Financial uh, Monumental uh, Marathon, then. So, okay. CNO, Financial Monumental. Mon- it's a, a mouthful. I can't Yeah, some, some bank-sponsored marathon. <laughs> Beyond Monumental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was that a race you had your eye on, or is it, did you just kind of randomly pick it, or do you have know somebody out there, or what, what led you to that race? So there's um, there's multiple folds to it. I mean, I was looking for a course that I could be, you know, like a fast course. It's flat there. Um, you just have to kind of worry about how the wind is going to affect a little bit more. Um, but I had actually attempted at earlier in the year, I had tried grandma's marathon. So um, mm-hmm. that's where Rich mentioned the uh, cunning, you know, like missing it just by a little bit. I actually ran 245.37 there. Yeah, I see um, your, your, your pay, it's not updated. So that's, that's, a, that's a tough one because that's yeah. <laughs> 1.2 seconds per mile. It's literally, yeah, and it all came, you know, fell apart at the very end. So I was on pace, felt great earlier in the race, um, but just after, it was kind of like that mile. You know, when they say the second half of the, you know, or the second half of the marathon is 20 to 26.2, they are absolutely correct because before that, you feel great. Um, But, yeah, it's that. that Isn't it funny? It's like this, it's like a perfect distance (laughs) to be just so hard because so much happens between 20 and 26 it's it's, it really it's pretty does. wild do you guys know the origin of it like how it became the 26.2 yeah That's the in, in london right the london uh, where the, the queen wanted it to come by the uh by, by the um what would you call it um the palace area palace, i guess yeah like it's just like arbitrary is like okay we need to stop here. So they added they added it was like what 24 with originally something 24 and a half and then and they added on because of the queen yeah <laughs> they just kept it that way it's pretty funny i didn't know that i knew about the uh the whole the greek part of <laughs> oh, the Philippides. yes yeah, yeah yeah he ran he ran from someplace to marathon but yeah the actual distance was because the queen was like no end it right here i don't this feel is, like leaving i'm not going anywhere you guys okay, bring it, it to me bring it to me <laughs> and so crystal if it was it, if it wasn't for the queen at that time like you would have qualified for the trial <laughs> earlier than this the queen's fault England. um 
Well, cool. Yeah, and that's something – And I'd like to just jump back before um, – so I didn't realize that you had attempted a marathon because, again – humble you didn't tell i didn't have no idea what's going on with your <laughs> with your with your training and your racing so what happened in that first first go at the marathon Be- because even before that i remember you trying to qualify for the trials through the half a couple of times um and that's, yep so i didn't realize that you had done a, a full before this before that broad street attempt i guess 2015 was the year that um the rock and roll half marathon got moved to october uh, right, and right. so that's when I first tried in the half distance, uh, and that's where my PR is of a 116.55, uh, which was a good time to run at that time. But to try to break 115, which was the qualifying mark at that point, it was kind of like, oh, two minutes, like that's a decent bit to still have to take off. Uh, still, even though attempted it at the Philly Marathon, came up short, didn't actually even PR there. Uh, and that's when someone put the idea in my head of like, well, have you thought about the marathon distance? Um, but I will say mileage, I've never, you know, like was not really there for the marathon fueling. I had never even attempted before. Um, so it was kind of, you know, a, a really risky attempt. But I mean, why not give it a try? At least said that, say that I gave it a chance. Um, so Houston in 2016, the very last day that you can qualify for the trials was when I gave it a a go ahead um, was pretty much on pace for 19 miles, and that's my first experience of a true bunk. Nice, <laughs> like there's the pack just started going, and I kind of was like, "Well, why did they pick it up?" And then I looked at my watch and was like, "Oh, it's me <laughs> slowing down." So they didn't. Um, yeah, yeah. So just kind of s- still managed to 259. So I was finishing, and people were like, "You're gonna break three and it's like, "Well, that wasn't the goal, <laughs> but. Um, so it was kind of, you know, obviously at that point I knew obviously the Olympic trials that year was not going to happen. Um, but I knew there was a lot to work on. I knew I needed to get, you know, stronger with the longer distances, uh, increased mileage, actually experienced feeling for the first time. Uh, I mean, I tried it during that marathon and I took in maybe 300 calories total, uh, which is not enough. Um, so that was a good experience to learn that even just taking in enough water, um, so there's so much I took from that, but then obviously at the same time, I was still pretty bummed and emotional going into 2016. Cause it was like, all right, well, what do I do with my running at this point? <laughs> so I feel it's a pretty common thing for runners. Cause when you're in college, you don't, like we, we didn't take goos or anything like that. You know, oh. like it wasn't a thing. I mean, it was obviously out there, but I, th- I remember the first time being on a run with somebody and looking over at them and like, what they just put in their mouth? Like, they, yeah. Like, what was that? I almost thought it was silly. Um, I was like, and, no, and, if you and, did that, yeah, I was like, oh, that's on a twenty mile like, run when you clearly should have had something, but um, right. and I just remember, I'll never forget it. It was Bob Schwelm. I looked over, he had this like nugget of something. I'm like, what? What? What are you? Was this like performance enhancing something going on here? <laughs> and then it opened my eyes completely. So I mean, I can totally relate to that. Where you're just like, wow, oh, it's twenty six miles. I don't know. I had a couple, you know, take. So what did you take? If you don't mind me asking, like, what was the um, for that first that one, I did take goose. Um, I knew I couldn't really chew anything because I really didn't experience actually eating anything. You know, like it was just so new. Um, yeah. But now I'm actually a fan of Martin. Um, I was still taking goose up until this past uh, race where I actually used the Martin gels and I used the drink mix as well. Um, but yeah. at Grandma's, I used the goose and the drink mix for Martin. So It's interesting. It's like a jelly. It's like, it's a, uh, and it's expensive too. So Martin, I know. <laughs> when you're training on, you're like, man, I actually, I really liked it. Um, 
like the, the consistency took a little getting used to. Um, and then obviously Iliad Kipchoge, I think he uses it. So like a lot of people were like, Hmm, what's that guy drinking? I want to drink that. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was pretty, pretty good. And actually something that was even like, I didn't even think about that made such a big difference during training too, was the, the bottle I was using. Uh, I started using like a skinnier bottle, um, so that I can actually hold on to it better. Uh, hmm. and that was like life-changing <laughs> through the practicing of fluids during like long runs and stuff too. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. With the, the, you call it more, more, Martin, Martin, Martin. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like the best, like by far, but it is so crazy expensive that you can't, it's hard to justify using it in training. It's like, well, I'm just going to use, this is my race day fuel. Um, yeah, rest. it's a whole other line item if you're going to use it every weekend for a long run. <laughs> Seriously. Like on your, in your expenses. It's, it's, yeah. Uh, but I did, I have to say, I really did one of the couple times I've used it. I, I was trying to say, is this like a, a placebo effect? But I really <laughs> do think it was a nice, even flow of, of energy. Um, and it sits sure. well in the stomach, too, which was yeah. nice about that. You like forget that you even took it. Like aside from the energy that you get, like you like a goo, you like know you've eaten goo for like hours after. Like you just was like in your yeah. mouth, like you kind of burp it, and not awesome. But the so let's pause here for an announcement. This episode is brought to you by Martin. Yeah, yeah, our new sponsors. <laughs> um, which which it's not, but anyway, we just totally sponsors. we just totally plug them. We might as well say they're our sponsor of this episode. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's definitely the best out there for sure. Um, and yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit of maybe we can get into a little bit of some details about how you kind of plan that out. But but one thing that I do find that is real interesting about what uh, like your kind of process here, you came so close to that goal, and like you've had this goal for a couple of years now, and to finally accomplishment uh, accomplish it. So like, w- what was that process like of when you had to kind of reevaluate things? Like w- when you looked back and like, okay, I was. 15 minutes off. I was a minute and a half off. I was 30 seconds, 37 seconds off. Like, do you have a process for after you go through a race and then what you're going to do to kind of retool things? And what's that typically like for you? So for this time, I say after I tried the first marathon, um, got through Broad Street with a, obviously a good result. Um, the one thing I really wanted to do was just prove to myself that I could negative split the at least half marathon distance so that I could give myself some more confidence for the marathon. Um, reason being was when I was running those half marathons and trying to qualify, like, you know, you're going out and then you're dying at the end. And just like that first marathon, going out and like dying at the end. And I was kind of just need that confidence that I had the strength to, you know, after so many miles, like then pick up the pace, which I had never really been able to do at that point. So in 2017, I ran the Philly half, and my biggest goal for that was it, I didn't care about PR. I just wanted to negative split, and uh, you know that was something I did succeed to do. I think I ran like 118.00 that day, um, but I was just so happy about that race because it kind of gave me the confidence for the longer distance races is to kind of start practicing negative splitting it. Um, so then after that, in 2018, the goal was really kind of build up more mileage. Um, I really, I would say before that, I was probably hitting like 50, 60, maybe at the very most. But based off the people I'm running against, uh, they're obviously running a lot more miles at that point. So mm. it was kind of like I wanted to properly build miles, but not get myself injured in the process. 
so I had a hernia. Uh, it was uh, something that hurt me in sense of like when I was standing on long days, um, track and field meets especially, but it didn't really affect me during running. So it was kind of back and forth on getting the surgery. Uh, and then a friend said, you know, if you can't stand without pain, how are you supposed to train at another level? Um, which was a really good point. Uh, so that was kind of my deciding factor. As soon as the indoor season finished for the athletes, got the surgery because it was right after that was spring break. Uh, and then so that was like March of 2018. And the Aventatious goal that year was that I was signed up for Chicago uh, in early October. So the hope was to come back. And I mean, obviously there was ups and downs. Um, I was in really good shape going into Chicago. Uh, unfortunately, though, I got sick about a week prior to that. Uh, so, you know, and I, you know, but like anyone who has flights booked, hotel booked, um, you're hoping that it all comes together regardless and just the fitness is there. But it ended up being more than just a cold. Um, so I did end up dropping out. Um, couldn't really breathe. And when I went home and saw the doctor, I got diagnosed with bronchitis. So it was much more serious. Um, and I, I mean, I don't even know how I got through halfway on pace uh, at that point. So it was kind of, you know, putting months and months of training in again and to come up short, actually not even just short, like this was, it failed <laughs> in that case. Yeah. So just really bad uh, timing of everything. So um, and it took me probably till January to really be able to run again. Uh, so that's from October, November, and December this time last year. Uh, it was still me recuperating from the sickness. It was it just lingered forever. So um, January of 2019 was kind of starting from scratch again, which was frustrating <laughs> in that case. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine like the frustration on things like that on the physical end and just like having things kind of fall apart. Um but also like just how um, mentally it can weigh on you from one, like falling apart physically and two from falling, coming up short a couple of times on your goals and also including the effort earlier this year. So did you have anything to like, like what kind of strategies did you have mentally when kind of trying to overcome these kind of things? So we talked about the physical part a little bit, but did you pay much attention to mental, the mental part or were you just kind of like back on the grind and just back to working hard? I would say, I mean, one thing that, I mean, there's obviously when I couldn't run at all and I mean, being sick, like that part was really tough. Um, but you know, just there's my big thing is I, there's always something you can do. Um, so I still found something that's when I kind of got more into Pilates. Uh, so mm. I was able to focus on some weaknesses, especially kind of lingering from the surgery, uh, in the, you know, hip flexors kind of core area. Uh, and then, just in general, strengthening my core. Uh, so I knew mentally I was doing something instead of just kind of sitting around and waiting for the lungs to really come together. Um, and then January was kind of like, all right, like it's time to rebuild back up. Um, but really kind of, there is a positive, you know, mentality behind it. Uh, I'm really big on, well, one of the books I read during that time too was Let Your Mind Run by Dina Castor. I don't know if you guys have read that book, but uh, it is really bit good on kind of the how she changed herself to more positive thinking. And mm -hmm. when her running really kind of got, you know, she became the Olympian at that point, like she just it took off. Uh, so it was kind of like keeping your mind straight. Um, but, um, you know, there's obviously still bad days within mixed in with the good days <laughs> um, of, you know, I ran my fastest marathon at this point is 259. Like, 
I've now failed twice. Like, are people actually believing that I can? Um, but then trying to think about, well, I've ran 116 and a half. You know, if I can really put the work in, there is the ability to accomplish this. So um, just trying to keep your head more straight, more days than the bad days, <laughs> I guess, in that sense, and just keep putting the work in. And then, then that's where grandmas happen, <laughs> um, where it was, you know, June of 2019, um, had some really, you know, good buildup. I did actually have a, you know, I did fall on my knee one, uh, about a month out and could not run on it for a few days. So that was a little frustrating. Uh, about two weeks out, pretty much couldn't run more than two miles without pain. And I was like, oh gosh, it's happening again. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to be able to finish this, um, but got some PT done. And, you know, we were able to make it so that I actually ran with zero pain during the race. Um, so it was just kind of more of a hiccup uh, at that point. And, I mean, I ran 245, 37, something I was really proud of. But, you know, deep down, you're also kind of like, oh, you know, missed it again. <laughs> but at least you, at least you like, very, like, you, you had to have known, all right. I'm, I'm right there. You know, I can do this. Like, I just need to make this next little push. You know, it would have been different if you went like 252. Mm -hmm. And then you're kind of like, oh, man, like, that's a bit, you know. So, I mean, like, you you essentially qualified on that day, I guess, more or less. You didn't, you know, you were close enough. What did you run? I'm sorry. I, I What was your time in uh, the last marriage, like, when you did qualify? In, oh, I just ran two forty. Oh, so uh, in Indianapolis, Indianapolis. right? Yeah. Uh, I just ran two forty four oh five. Um, and what's interesting, two, I feel like two forty four oh five. Two forty four oh five. I was you're, actually. You're, a, you're, you would like to keep it close. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I will you say too. You might have been too, and like looking at your watch, like, oh my gosh, like there's not a lot of room for mistakes here. Well, that That's race, awesome. so I was on pace. I was actually faster with more than three miles to go. Um, it's not that I hit a bonk or anything, you know, at that wall. We actually had, so wind was kind of a little bit more to your back in the first half of the race, and then it was a lot more to your face towards the second half. I mean, usually you kind of want it to be opposite <laughs> um, so that it's kind of you fight it through, I feel like, in the beginning, and then you have a little extra help towards the end when you're tired. Um, so, I mean, I, I still ran it mostly even, but the first half, I think I came through in like 121.36. Uh, and then I actually picked it up a little bit after that. I felt so good. Um, but the when, how the race works is you kind of go out and then you turn around. So when we turned around, it was just the wind in your face. Uh, and the last three miles was like, I mean, I thought I was running into a wall. There was, and I didn't have, at that point, I was ahead of, you know, like the group I was with. Um, they kind of, I guess, stayed a little more consistent and I was feeling good. So I kind of had moved up. Um, so I didn't have anyone to block the wind. Uh, so at that point I knew I had, I hate to say the banked time, <laughs> um, cause you don't really want to run in the sense of a marathon doing bank time. But in this case, you know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it worked in my favor because I was running probably six thirties into this wind. And I was like, you're still fine. You still have enough time that, you know, you can get to that finish and uh, should be able to sprint it in when you do that really last, you know, quick turn at that point to into the finish line. So I kind of, I knew where I was and just kind of was like, you're fine. Like, just keep this effort going. Yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned that about banked time because like the, <laughs> the general like runner will, will, will think that as like an actual strategy for the marathon. It's like, oh, you know, I figure I'll go out a little fast and just bank some time. 
It's like, ah, uh, no. <laughs> it won't, it's not going to work that way. So like in your case, you were, you probably could have held that pace, but the wind and the, and the elements kind of made you go a little bit slower. Not yes. that you actually were like planning on falling apart and banking time. Um, and the first half was like thinking about effort a little bit too. So with the wind a little bit to the back too, it was kind of like what hmm. would typically be, I think like a 615 effort. We were running maybe like a 607s at that time. So I felt you know, like that's why I had some bank time at that point. But I mean, the original plan, I didn't, you know, I originally didn't want to go through faster than like a 122. Um, but I didn't freak out when I came through a 121 because I knew the effort was fine uh, in the sense yeah. of what I was doing. I was a little more worried about the people who may have put a little extra effort at that point um, since I was actually with the 245 pace group at that point. So I was kind of hoping the rest of the group of ladies, because at that point, you kind of like don't care about place. You just want everyone who you've been running with in that race to qualify as well. Like you just want everyone to cross the line with you. <laughs> right. It's not, it's not like a thing like in Boston where there's a qualifier, but there's still a limited amount of spots, right? Like if you, qual even if like thousands of people qualify, like everybody gets to race, right? Mm -hmm. so and there's like, a lot like more this year than ever. I feel like with qualifiers, like I'm, I'm probably, I think I'm over 300th on the list with my 244. Yeah. Which is insane. I wonder if they'll adjust these times based off of that. Like, if there's an ideal, because 300 still isn't that many people, right? So yeah. it might be the total number might be closer to more like 400. Um, and there's yeah. still, I mean, we haven't even ran CIM yet. Um, yeah, that's a big one. Going to be one. a decent bit of qualifiers there, and Houston should have some more too. So uh, there's going to be more. But I would, I, don't, I think they might drop it um, just because the Olympic standard also changed to 229. Um, the originally the 245 was chosen because that was the Olympic standard at that time. So I think I don't see them dropping at the 229, but I think I see them getting a little bit closer um, just to kind of not have quite as many, but not really kind of take away opportunities either. The Olympic standard is 229. It's 229 now. Yeah, they wow. changed that. So I, I thought that I thought the Olympic standard was in line with the A standard. So it's not like on track in track where they the. the the A standard is actually the Olympic standard. I didn't know that. They, yeah, and they, that's why there was actually a big mix up to, not mix up, but there was, um, it really affected, because I think it was a really last minute, I forget, maybe it was this time last year or maybe like summer of last year when they decided to change the Olympic standard. It was real last minute. So people already, especially elites, uh, early professional athletes, I mean, they already had their race schedule figured out up until the Olympics. Uh, or the Olympic trials, and some of them, you know, they had already hit the Olympic standard at that point, so they yeah. weren't worried, where there's others who maybe they had ran 231, and now, like, you know, they could be in the top three at the uh, Olympic trials, but they still wouldn't be able to, go, you know, represent us because they sure. wouldn't have the standard. So uh, it really actually more so affected the men's side because at that time when they changed it, Galen Rupp was the only one that had the standard for the men's time. I don't actually know... I think it's 211. Am I? I have to double check that. Right. I know the women's time's a lot better. Um, but the so a lot of men who had qualified for the trials now had to add another race to their schedule because they didn't have the standard to be able to, you know, if they get top three at the Olympic trials, they still wouldn't be able to represent us then, which was an interesting scenario for a lot. <laughs> 
And, uh, yeah, the, and when, the when is the trial? One thirteen. Holy crap! That's yeah. Wow. Now really? that was because it was one fifteen, and it got changed to one thirteen. I think they really wanted more qualifiers from the marathon than the half. So yeah, obviously that makes sense. That, that's not yeah. in line with two forty five. <laughs> I don't think. No, definitely <laughs> not. Um. Yeah. How, how does it feel now? Like that. So when is Atlanta? Uh, February twenty ninth. Okay. So leap year day. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, it's it's coming up. I mean, it's not a ton of time to prepare for that. So how do you feel about, like, what will you do now to kind of get yourself ready for that race? Like, what kind of things do you think that you'll need to work on to uh, to kind of get in? Because this is, like, going to be the most competitive race of yeah, life, I, right? I don't like, think it lasts. <laughs> right, like, 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 how not, does that feel, right? Not a lot of time, Crystal. Like, you might want to – not a lot of time. It's not a lot of time. <laughs> I will say I feel better that like I'm not someone you know like there are races still that need to happen for people to qualify and so like, they yeah, have yeah, the yeah, best right. time. Right. Um, I, there's a lot of different things. Like, I mean, one thing is that I've hit the time. So instead of kind of focusing on just trying to get under sub 245, um, you know, a lot of my fitness going into Indianapolis actually showed that I was capable of more 242. Um, but there was no need to run 242 because it's the same result for me of like what I want versus 245. So uh, running a more safe, I guess, race and just try to get under that 245, I cared more about. Um, so I guess the question is, do I try to go for, you know, even faster than I'm capable of? The tough part about Atlanta is it has a lot more hills. I was um, say what the course like, so there, it, it's rolling. Yeah. So there's, and they actually did a, a course preview yesterday morning, I think. So they allowed people to come in. It was like 18 mile run, uh, allowed you to kind of preview the course. Um, so I'm curious if people will kind of start talking a little bit more about the different hills that you have. Um, they did have to change the course up because in August they realized they had, it was an unsafe course for the number of people who qualified now um, since there's a larger number. So they did have to change it up a little bit. Um, since they did the last preview, like so I think that's why they did. Hundred fifty people versus three hundred people. Yeah, what were they going to have it like? like <laughs> where? Yeah, was <laughs> it on like a, was it on a track? A single track. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know enough about the course. I haven't been able to like look at it. You know, like my goal was just literally to qualify. I wasn't looking past the qualifying mark. Right. Uh, sure. So now that I have, there's actually um, now I'm entered into the the race. So I have to like, there's some emails that came through that I have to kind of like. Finalize. Um, Atlanta Track Club is doing a fantastic job with you know making sure their their big thing is that they're they feel that everyone should have the same opportunities. Um, so they're actually paying for hotels for everyone who qualifies. Uh, so I can only imagine how much money that's that is compared to you know not paying at all. <laughs> We're just paying. They're paying. I mean, like my hotel will be covered uh, if I choose to live or stay with someone else who also qualified. Uh, if and I think if I do that, I get also some money towards my airfare. I have to check. I don't have this all memorized. I have to go back and check oh. the email. Um, whereas if I were to choose to have my own room, I think that's only covered, and I would have to pay fully for my own flight. Um, but they are, I mean, imagine that times, you know, 400 other people, and that's just the women. That's not even including all the men qualifiers. So that's, that's a lot of money <laughs> that they're putting forward, but they feel that, to even out the competition, you know, it's not fair for, you know, only the top to get this and the rest of them not to get this. So they're trying to be fair across the board um, for everyone. Cool. So I don't know what the difference is of someone who gets the A standard. I guess everything is totally covered would be my guess, but. And they, they might have more sponsors too, 
right? Yes. There might yeah. be other people helping them out. Like where I would hope so. Yeah. On your end, I don't know if you have too many sponsors, but I can imagine you probably don't have a ton of people throwing you money to get to. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm also content, like I didn't need to have like, you know, someone, you know, like I, I do have someone who helps coach me. Um, but I don't need to have like, you know, the sponsor to, you know, wear their gear or anything like that. I just felt like I wanted to focus on exactly what I, you know, the shorts that are going to have the pockets to hold my gels, the shoes that I feel most comfortable with, which obviously is in correspondence with everyone else. I had the four percents on. So um, <laughs> I don't I didn't have the five percents on. I probably could have been one percent faster. <laughs> so um but then, you know, just to have the things on that I felt more, most comfortable with because it's 26.2 miles, you know, I want to make sure I am, you know, happy with what I'm wearing at that point. So. What yeah, are you leaning towards? Nice. Are you leaning towards going for it? And just, I mean, obviously you're going to do the best you can, right? But I think that there is, if, I'm just trying to put myself in, in your shoes or somebody and some people that I've known that qualify, like you just qualify and they're like, all right, now I'm going to show up to the line with people who have run 222. Yeah. Um, and everything in between, right? So um, you you would think on the surface that it'd be like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to run with a lot of really good people. Maybe they'll pull me along. And uh, so, you know, obviously you're probably just going to go for it and then see what happens. Yeah. I think I want to make, I mean, this is so early to say, because I want to see how training goes too, because I might be yeah. able to change it based off of that. Um, but I would like to try to still PR. I think I have a lot more in my legs, you know, like I kind of feel like I was just focused, like I said, on that 245. Uh, wasn't really thinking about running best as much as just accomplishing that. Um, so I think what's interesting about this is I can kind of focus on uh, what's my best. Uh, again, I don't want to be too aggressive and end up dying at the end. I hear, I think I hear one of the monster hills is towards the end. So you need to have some leftover um, for that hill. So I guess it's kind of a mix of maybe still being like, I still would love to be able to see if I can negative split, but maybe be a little bit more aggressive while doing that. Um, but then again, this is my first ever build of a marathon in the winter. Um, uh, true build. I feel like Houston wasn't like the true, true build of training. So we'll see how, you know, the long runs go, the fueling when water bottles are sitting, uh, along the side of the path and I have to, you know, it's freezing out. Um, so we'll see how all of that goes. Um, and then, and obviously I'm sure there'll be a lot more hill training in this. And you have your share of hills too, right? Slippery rock is probably pretty, what's the terrain like That's, out there? Yeah. I mean, so I actually, I'm not too afraid of hills. I just never ran a marathon on a hilly course. I mean, sure. Houston's super flat, even Chicago, you know, I dropped out super flat. Probably the hilliest was Grandma's, which is rolling, which is kind of actually one of my favorite type of hills because, you know, you get just as much up and down. Um, but, yeah, Slippery Rock, I mean, I actually throughout my career of running is, like, I've always thrived on hilly courses. If anything, I kind of struggled more on uh, flat courses. So uh, one of the things I did um, when I was really kind of down on myself on training, this training, you know, just every runner does have ups and downs. My husband actually had me write on a note card, uh, you know, affirmations in the sense of making me really believe that it's going to happen. Um, so the first thing I wrote on there was, you know, I am a 244.01 marathon. And the reason why we chose that time is that's what pace I was on at grandma's before the wheels came off. Um, so we wanted to know that, like, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to figure out that finish of the race. Uh, and then the second part that I focused on was I am a great, you know, I 
executed a good race on a you know flat and you know race in that case because I was actually more nervous about the course being flat than I was like hitting the times this time around. Um, so I'm not as much afraid of the hills. It's just more of like now I've ran all these races on flatter courses. I really don't know what it's like to run a marathon on like a hilly course. So it's like new territory in that sense. Hmm. And, and I love that about the the cue card. Like I saw that <laughs> on your social. And I think that's so cool. And like I love the idea of not saying I will or I think mm-hmm. and just like really having this all out positive and putting it out there because you were a 244 marathon or even before it happened. You were really close. Like, you were like three seconds off your card, weren't you? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it was true. So, but yeah, the big part was saying like, cause when I first wrote on that card, I said, I will do this. And like, you know, Bob pretty much took my card and ripped it up and was like, no, you're going to write, I am. And I was like, I am a 244.01 marathoner. So I guess technically I can't say I am that because I'm a 244.05, <laughs> but it is crazy how close it was. <laughs> Yeah. And like you said, you thought you were in shape to run 242, right? So like you can be that marathoner like and, and maybe not have the time to point to, but doesn't doesn't change that. And um, I, I think it's such a cool practice. And was that something that like you kept in mind? Would you rewrite that or would you like look at it every day? Or how did that like practice kind of work into your day to day and your training? It sat on the bathroom mirror. Um, so there's a little ledge where it can just sit right in there. And so I literally saw that note card every single day. Um, so it was something I read every single day and like repeated out loud too. And since so it, it was engraved, but in my head, but yeah, like I, I definitely felt going into this race, the most comfortable with hitting that pace. I was more so worried about, you know, like I said, the flat course, like will, you know, one of the things you worry about is using the same muscles over and over and over again for like the 26.2 where Hills kind of, I feel like add a quote unquote, some relief. Um, it is still a marathon. Um, mm. so that was my bigger worry. I was worried about what if it's like, you know, super cold, which it ended up being super cold, but it was manageable cold. <laughs> um, what if it rains, you know, in a cold rain that, you know, I don't mind if it rains, like if it's warmer rain, but a cold rain can be tough to run 26.2 miles. in. so there were so many other things uh, or, you know, what if my, so actually something that happened in grandma's, I actually stopped to use the restroom. Um, so that's another thing with like 37 seconds and it's like, I stopped. So it was like, now I need to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So I really kind of, one of the things I changed this build up was, you know, the day before really focused on like plain foods. Um, and then that morning was like literally just oatmeal. There was nothing added into the oatmeal. Um, I think one thing that I used to you know, with the half marathon, I didn't take fueling during the races. So I used to think I needed a larger meal beforehand. Um, but I think since you actually take in fueling during marathons, I actually was able to take in less calories before the race, but take it in during the race versus, so like it worked in that sense. Um, but yeah, I took the, I took also a gel right like 15 minutes before the start of the race too. So that was another ad, um, that I did to try to get a little extra calories, but kind of more, I don't want to say plain calories, but calories that Simple just that well yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, and, and that's something that can happen to people when they eat too much, like the night before it takes almost 20 hours, right. For mm-hmm. it, uh, the carbohydrates to get into your muscles and, and store. And sometimes people just overdo this like pasta party carb load mentality. And like your, your, your gut will stop it. It will stop because it makes sure it, it wants to utilize and absorb everything. So like you'll, it'll like, 
kind of back things up and like then people will be on the race course and they'll have to go to the bathroom when things mm-hmm. are finally absorbed and come through. So that, that's really cool that you work that add into your your nutrition. And and what other kind of strategies did you have like during the race? Was it time based or was it on feeling? How did you go about doing that? Because that seems to be a reoccurring theme is that the, the fueling is something that really helped you kind of push beyond um, this this barrier. I mean, the, so yeah, starting like the race was actually starting at a pace slightly slower than qualifying mark and try to like, you know, actually pick it up second half. Uh, We were aware of the wind kind of being a little bit more to our back at the start, you know, the first half versus like the end. So I will say that in the back of my head, I was a little bit worried about, you know, like hitting the wall like I had done in previous marathons, but kind of wanted to just trust, you know, and save the energy for when it's needed. Um, I left out. So normally uh, I try not to actually go with the pacers because um, for the pace groups, they kind of run really even. And I feel like that's not really how you want to run a marathon. Um, So I did not plan to run with them for a long period of time. I expected to kind of catch them at some point, but they actually went out even slower than I did in the first mile. And then around like mile two, they kind of caught up with uh, myself at that point. So I was like, well, I mean, they're obviously running a little bit slower pace than they typically would, and they're going to be picking it up like I do. I might as well attach into this group who, you know, they can just pull me along. Uh, it actually really worked in my favor. Uh, and we even had the person, the guy who was leading the 245 pace group, he was saying, all right, like, you know, watch your footing because some of the roads were a little bit kind of like, you know, you had bad, um, you know, need to be kind of probably repaved at some certain points, or he would say, all right, a right turn is coming up. So you can actually kind of position yourself in the right spot, you know, coming up to that turn. Uh, and at, even at one point when we started kind of losing coverage a little bit, and we actually were more into the wind, this is what after the halfway mark, obviously, he started calling up the guys that are in the area. He's like, all right, man, I need you to block this wind. Um, so it's kind of cool experience nice. to be in that group. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, I felt like I wasn't really working you know, like fully working, like I was just going along with them. Uh, it was probably around like mile 15 or 16 when I saw another group of ladies and like a few guys kind of start breaking off. And I was like, you know what? Like, I feel good. Like I can go with this group. And so I went with them for a bit and uh, <clears throat> kind of stuck with them until like that group kind of broke down a little bit more and found myself a little bit more alone. But um I mean, I just, I felt like I had control literally up until I hit, you know, the last three miles of the race and that wind was in my face and I was just like, all right, (laughs) hang on to this effort because I know I'm in a good spot with time right now. So I don't know if that, I feel like I forget what your question was. I don't know if I rambled off there a little bit, but... (laughs) No, it was more about like the race strategy and like kind of how the fueling kind of came in into play of, of things. And this was the first time I actually had bottles. So they did a fabulous job. Um, I mean, I felt it sounded like in previous years they'd had a lot of complaints of how bottles were done. Um, so I was a little nervous about that. But one of the backup plans was I had enough gels on me that if I didn't grab a bottle or I missed a bottle, that I could at least at a water stop, like grab water and take a gel with that. So I wasn't too concerned, um, but they had bottles at 10K, 20K, and 30K um, for the women who were, and anyone like elites trying to go for the fast time. I think there was anywhere from 52 to 62 just for women bottles. Wow. People that had bottles, and that's not including the men's, um, which, so I find that really impressive. My, so for fueling, I actually start with a water bottle for marathons. So the first usual like six to seven miles, 
I drink that Martin drink uh, and I finish it. So obviously the 10K bottle was like not really purposeful for me at that point, but I still put water in it just to kind of have some extra water to drink. Uh, that worked out because one of the ladies I was running with missed her bottle. Um, so she was able to tell, take a gel and then I just handed my bottle to her and she drank the water. So nice. yeah, so we helped out each other. Um, but then during the 20 K and the 30 K, um, and what I kind of ended up doing, which worked really well during the race was I was almost taking like leading up to the 20 K I took like a half of a gel. And then when I got to the 20 K I took, you know, I drank pretty much either three quarters or a half of that bottle of Martin. Uh, and then, Another fun aspect was like, all right, you know, any women like, you know, re asking people around, like, does anyone need anything else? You know, do they have enough? And sometimes I was actually handing a bottle over to someone else who needed some more calories. Uh, and other times I was just kind of passing the bottle across. So or um, throwing it over. So it was kind of nice, like people helping each other. Um, but I really think having the bottles uh, was really, really helpful. Uh, I'm not experienced, you know, not expecting that to, you know, be my experience of bottles every race, but it was nice to have the extra liquids, I guess, and making sure I get that because sometimes grabbing those cups <clears throat> and getting enough from those cups is not always enough. <laughs> Impossible yeah, not yeah. to spill. So the, the, the formula is pretty much the same, right? So like whether you're taking the drink or the gel, how do you, how do you look at the gels versus the drink? Because at the end of the day, you could just drink water on the course and just have the gels and vice versa. So in my mind, I'm just wondering like how or why are you looking at them? Do you, is there some sort of, you feel like maybe it gets into your system a little easier or how, how are you looking at that? Well, I'd always like, I actually didn't know I was, well, I guess I knew I was getting bottles, but I didn't expect to fully use them because I had always for past races, always used the goos and then I switched over to gels. So I just expected to kind of like not fully use the bottle option and just kind of go how I always had with like having the gels on me, drinking the water when I could. Um, I always start though with, like I said, the, um, the drink mix for the first bit. And then after that, get, you know, I toss that bottle uh, and kind of do the whole, I put duct tape on the bottle. So it was easy to hold. So I was okay mm. with tossing that bottle instead of tossing really nice bottles each time. Um, but I guess in this case, it was kind of me just seeing that like I could really spread out taking in like the fluids and fueling throughout the race when I was taking half of a gel and that gel too, like some, you know, the goos, I feel like when I take a goo, I feel like I have to drink water right afterwards. The not gel, sure. I feel like it's not as immediate afterwards. Like it's kind of, it goes down a lot easier and then, you know, let that kind of sit in the stomach a little bit. And then I passed the water stations and I was able to take the bottles then soon after that. So it was kind of more of like a spreading it out. Um, generally hoping to kind of get like 200 calories an hour is the goal, uh, which is obviously way more calories than I got when I got, you know, the first marathon I ever did and took in 300 calories the entire race. Um, so it's, you know, obviously just improving on that and taking in constant calories to make sure that I was, you know, good going throughout the race then. <clears throat> yeah. And that makes sense. Cause I think, I think people want the rule of thumb to be a goo, an hour and that ends, that's a hundred calories, right? Mm -hmm. So like you kind of doubled what, you know, typical pe people might think. Um, How's the calorie, to, what's the calorie to carb ratio in the, in that Martin? What is that 200 calories? It's roughly? all carbs. The, so there's two different mixes. No, how, how many grams 50. is that would be, do you know? So uh, uh, 200 divided by four. 
I can check and see in there exactly. But calories? Yeah, the 160 be calories. 50, be 50 grams for 50 200 grams. calories. Okay. Uh, I have, so there's two different formulas though. There's the 160 and there's the 320. And I use oh, yeah. the What's 160. The so that's, that's like 160 salt, right? has calories. 320 has 320 calories. Oh, it's just a size. So <laughs> it's yeah. just how big it is. It's like the amount of calories in each of those drinks is kind of mm. the biggest. I, I'm sure there's more. I, I can look at the ingredients probably and figure it out more so detailed. But I just knew throughout the training that 160 set well in my stomach. And I was like, that's what I'm using. So. No, and the, the, the even thing makes perfect sense. Like ideally, you know, you, you would just have a really nice slow intake. And that's the one thing I do do not like about the, the gels when I'm – working with athletes because if they if it is let's say every 30 minutes or every 45 minutes it's it's like it's a little too yeah. much undulation so it goes up comes down and i often wonder like is that like what's the nice gap you know ideally if you have the drink the entire way you could just keep sipping and time it perfectly and you probably get this nice slow burn um and not everybody has that advantage right so like now were you in some sort of elite being in the elite wave and then and all those people actually that qualified to be in that wave were able to do that bottle thing. yeah and they had to uh so they're like they this was the, the deepest that field has ever been um and i think it was just literally knowing you know people knowing that this is a course that they could try to qualify at uh, yeah. i think the original standard might have been like a 255 was to be an elite um but i imagine that i don't know if they ended up like i think they might have decreased the time to maybe 252 to kind yeah. of really, I don't know what the full um, thing was, but I mean, I think at that point too, they recognized that like, you know, they weren't just going to turn people away, you know, cause this is what they were, you know, like the standards were for them. But um, I thought they did a great job. Like they had, you know, what they did, they told us we had a meeting the night before for the elites. Um, that's when you checked in your bottles at that point. Uh, and they kind of, they actually told you like where your bottles were. So mine was, uh, I think table five and six was the position. So they would put six bottles on a table. And so I would know that when I get to table five, the last bottle because on that table was mine. Um, now, obviously, I decorated it to stand out, too. But this way, we were able to kind of like form like almost a line when we got to the bottles or the tables and you kind of grabbed it when you knew you were coming up on your table then. Um, I, I felt like I lucked out with it being the last position on the table because I didn't have to worry about hitting someone else's right after mine. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, I thought it, I thought it worked out nicely, but I think there's always still a practice for people of just grabbing the bottle in general, which is tough. <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. So it sounds like that, that did work really well and it seems like you executed it almost perfectly. And I'm guessing you'll kind of take those same things moving forward. Um, into the, the trials and everything. Um, but yeah, another thing I do want to talk about just to kind of switch gears a little bit is we mentioned that, you know, you might not be fully uh, sponsor funded, um, but <laughs> you have a job and you're yeah. also, uh, you are a head um, coach. Are you cross country and track? Yes. Yep. So nice. year round, I always, I always wonder what it's like for coaches who maybe, you know, are in season for fall and out of season for spring. Cause be weird. You know, we, yeah. don't, we don't get that. So yeah. It says and, uh, associate head coach. Are you? Do you share that role with somebody else? So yeah. So Carl Blickle is the head cross country track and field coach for men and women officially. He's kind of the guy who has does all the little the paperwork behind the scenes, I guess. But I am the associate head coach for cross country, 
And then I'm basically more of an assistant coach for track and field, um, but it's, you know, full time throughout the year. Uh, I'm more in charge of the women's distance. So I'm the one putting together their training. Uh, I'm the one that's recruiting women's distance too. So that's another part that I feel like a lot of people, you know, with our job, yes, we are coaching, you know, fall, winter and spring. Um, yeah. But I would still say with that, probably more than half of our job is recruiting um, talking. In fact, actually, before this conference call, I had a call with one of my uh, recruits uh, talking to them just to check in and, you know, see where, you know, their heads are in the sense of with the, they're, you know, adjusting the track and field. There's so many different things to talk about. And a lot of them will be hearing from early action decisions in December. Mm-hmm. So um, that'll be coming up next. And they're at Division two? We're Division yeah. three. Yeah. Division three. Okay. So that's another piece too with our, with coaching. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm kind of happy. I don't have to worry about giving out athletic scholarship. I'll be honest. I feel like that's probably another added, you know, stressor. Uh, Although I would say it would be something that helps make people make their decisions sooner. Um, Because we, you know, you tend to decide up until May 1st. We'll have a lot of athletes that wait until uh, May 1st um, because there's no reason for them to decide sooner than that unless it's a situation where we get to a point on our team that we feel like we really can't take in more. Um, But with track and field, it's, you know, there's not as many limitations, especially since we have a nice indoor facility and outdoor facility. So we host meets too. So we're not limited to how many who can travel. Um, well, we are limited to travel, but they'll still get to compete at home meets all the time. Um, but yeah, there's, I mean, the academic part is brought into the recruiting. So we, we always right from the start want to know what their grades are, GPA, you know, SAT scores, ACT scores, because that's going to affect their costs big time. Um, if they're higher academic, they're obviously going to get more money in academic scholarships. So that's going to be easier to yield because they're not paying quite as much for schools when you know, we have over $60,000 uh, ticket price, basically, if you don't get scholarships. Yeah. So, so they have a lot of merit-based aid. There. Yeah, like if you if they're twelve twenty SAT or twenty seven ACT, they're getting thirty five thousand dollars in academic scholarship right from nice. the start. So that's usually our goal. We want <laughs> that's who we're trying to bring in. Sure. Um, but generally, we have those who are a little bit under, and it's not like they're going to get zero. You know, they're going to still get something. But uh, it's kind of nice to hit that number and like know for a fact during the recruiting be like, Hey, you are going to get this. Like yeah. it makes it easier to say. Do you, do you find yourself hoping that somebody doesn't do that well in track? Yes. Then, oh, then yeah. it, it, it <laughs> to the conversation of maybe getting some money to like, do well. But I mean, obviously well. yeah, I want them to do well, but don't do too well. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till you get to, to us before you pop that big rate. <laughs> Yeah, that definitely happens. I mean, we, you know, we get excited when we see a big PR and then we're like, oh no, like now there's in like February, because what happens is there's scholarships that open up, I guess, for like D1 and D2 of individuals who may have turned down their original offer. And now they're kind of looking at their two, three, four on their list. Um, so that's kind of where we start to like see, oh no, like, you know, this school wasn't talking to them before, but now they're on their radar a little bit more. So it happens. But I mean, I also kind of hope too that people, you know, just because we're D3 doesn't mean that, you know, they're not going to have competition. I mean, track and field, we're running against D1, D2, D3 at all, most meets anyways. Um, we can always take them to somewhere that makes sure that they have the competition if they need. 
Um, but then at the same time, I mean, we have, especially in our conference for distance events, I mean, we have Johns Hopkins and Haverford, uh, Swarthmore, like they're all powerhouses, uh, with distance of running. So, uh, it's, you know, it, yeah, actually Johns Hopkins women just won, uh, you know, D3 nationals for cross country. Yes. So they, they tend to kind of go back and forth with, uh, I think, uh, Washington uh, University is uh, someone who's kind of back and forth with, with winning. So, yeah, we, we're up against some of the best <laughs> when we uh, compete. So. I don't even, I don't think we said, mentioned the school. So you're at your sinus, right? Yeah. Is, is that how you pronounce that? Your or er, er sinus? <laughs> so they actually have a sign that actually has it broken down to help people. But yeah, it's your sinus. So like not er sinus. Not, it's, not yeah. my sinus, your sinus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, they have a, a very, at least admissions has a really creative shirt that they've been handing out to all the uh, prospective students. Uh, that is, I think, creative in the sense of how it breaks down the, the name. <laughs> It's a really cool school, and it's really it's. I think it's pretty well known for like for like pre med, mm-hmm. like a pretty solid like choice for pre med. I only know it's this because my sister was. My sister is a doctor, and she went there. So I, oh, I nice. Was. So you knew how to yeah. pronounce it. Yeah, I don't yeah, know if I did. I, I think uh, everything. Biology, I think, yeah, like the sciences is really known for that. Um, and it. we just got a brand new innovation discovery center that was built specifically for all this different sciences. You know, that's even including not just bio and chem. We're talking like psychology and sociology and type of sciences too, so that they have places for research for that. So that's been a nice draw for you know brand new lab uh, classrooms and stuff too. So yeah. Yeah, it, it's definitely a cool spot. And, you know, this isn't really a question, but I feel like it's important for everybody to know that, that in, in 2006, the indoor season that you guys had a meet at your sinus and, and I, I won the mile. Oh. So um, <laughs> I think that that just had to, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. But, um, but no, a real question. If, um, so what are some things that you guys do like within a collegiate program that someone who might not have experienced, like all three of us, we've run through high school, college post-college but a lot of people they come into it later in life so we have this background of of kind of what it's like to be an all-encompassing runner all the time so what do you think some things that you guys do within your program that some other like the regular everyday runner might not be doing i would say one of the big pieces is just working understanding pace uh and the effort involved with pace um so i think a lot of times people don't realize you know like one of the biggest things i will say especially for my 5k 10k runners uh, is that they are, you know, you don't want to go out hard and die at the end of that, you know, race in that sense. I mean, 5K is maybe a little bit more you can run, a little bit mm-hmm. more aggressive, but the 10K, you want to be careful. And I think, especially since this is probably pertaining to a lot of people who are more of in the, you know, longer distances um, that probably have, you know, didn't run in high school and college, but have opportunity to run lots of high school or lots of half marathons and uh, marathons. Uh, I guess there are a lot of 5Ks too, but yeah, understanding pace and the effort in there is huge. Um, so there's, you know, just trying to get people, like we'll practice the actual effort of a goal race and they'll mm. do that in practice, you know, either repeats of it, um, you know, especially like 1Ks are really good, repeat 1Ks to kind of get used to that effort. Um, there's, it's, it kind of depends, I guess, on the race that they're focusing on. So once we get into track, I'm a little bit more of the longer distance coach, whereas then Carl, who's the head coach for, you know, like I said, for cross country and track and field, he's a little bit more of the mid distance coach. So he kind of helps more in the 800 group. And then that mile is something where we kind of both share (laughs) 
Um, but yeah, it's, I would like, I really think once a distance runner understands pacing, that's when you really become another level of a runner. So for sure. And, and you mentioned something earlier in our conversation where you said you were, you were looking to run six fifteens, but you could feel that the six Oh sevens were still six fifteens or six twelves, whatever it was. Um, and that's, that's that experience, right? Like knowing how mm-hmm. to pace and knowing what it actually feels like for the pace. And, um, is that something you have to work with your athletes to do or, or, or do they even come out of high school with a pretty good sense of that? Or, or do you kind of put things in practice like the, the K's and the eight hundreds to drill it into? I have a huge variety of like experience that comes in. So I have the ones who are, you know, coming from a very established program and, you know, maybe, but they're also would probably like eighth or ninth on their team in high school because of that. Cause their, their team is winning States. Um, so one of the things I thought was really interesting for one of my ladies who's in that situation, she's actually a point scorer for me in cross country in that top five. And she talked to me and was like, you know, I've never been in a position where I'm scoring points on the team, whereas I was, you know, just someone racing, not actually trying to finish the best place I could uh, because she knew that she had about eight or nine teammates already ahead of her at that point. So working with her in the sense of like strategy behind the, you know, how to, how to place the best you can in the sense of like, you know, conserving the energy when to push. Um, you know, I, I'm a big believer of not pushing in the last stretch uh, when everyone else is kicking and trying to press a little bit more in the middle of the race where you're going to probably pass 10, 11 more, you know, like people at that point versus if you're getting passed, but you get passed by three people at the very end of that race, you're still up you seven. seven. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you have knowing how to do that. Um, but then I also have ones who have come from programs where, you know, they're either easily winning and their teammates are like minutes behind them or, you know, like they really haven't established themselves. They're very much more developmental. Uh, and I get just as excited about those as I do the ones who have like already had a lot of background with them too. So, you know, uh, my top lady actually now is a good example. She's from Virgin Islands. Um, so she's from an area where they care more about sprinting <laughs> more than yeah, the sure. racing. Uh, so she's kind of never really been like, she kind of gets so excited when she goes to a cross country meet. She's like, wow, like they really are excited about distance running. Like, you know, like she's never really seen that before. Um, so she kind of, first off is really takes in every experience, uh, that she gets, which is a great to watch as a coach. Um, but she has just flourished, you know, under her training because she didn't, not that she didn't have the training before, but now she's put in, you know, a competitive, you know, like having others around to push her. Uh, which is, you know, she's gone, I, I'll say, let's see, I guess she, she's never broken 20 minutes before, but she has, you know, when we ran at Lehigh for regionals, she came through the 5k mark in a 1942 and kept mm-hmm. running another 1k. Um, so one of the things I'm really excited about for her is she's probably going to break 19 minutes um, on the track soon, but her biggest goal right now is she keeps telling me she wants to break 20 on the track. And I'm like, but you already did this. Already she did wants that. the official time. <laughs> on, on, so she's just so naive to like just how good of a runner she is. And it's really fun working with her in that sense. So um, kind of seeing that type of development is really exciting. So, but also she needs to understand, you know, she's, you know, well, technically freshman eligibility for cross country. She started with me in the spring she needs to just make sure she knows that next year and the year after that, she's not going to have as big of drop of times as she did before. And that's okay. She's still improving. 
but she's not going to see minutes coming off of her time versus she might be celebrating 10 seconds to, you know, in the sense of that. And that's just as big of a, you know, celebration. For sure. Yeah. And I like the idea of coming, um, to, uh, like having that race strategy. It's definitely something that a lot of people leave on the table. Like they're just kind of like, Oh, I want to run this time, but like actually how they're going to do it every single step of the way is definitely a, a key takeaway for people. And um, I know like that your coaching philosophy is like, you could always add more. You could always do more. You mentioned it a little bit earlier as well. Like what are some of those things that you think people can do? Like what, when, after like a race, like adding something, what is something else that you kind of push people to do more of? I think there's all, it's like the small things too. Um, so I guess you kind of got to analyze. There's so much to that. Um, there's the, okay, how was I, you know, resting in a sense of being able to recover from session to session, um, mileage wise, like, was I someone who was kind of more on the side of caution of mileage or was I actually pushing myself a little bit more? Um, so is it proper to build more miles off of that or is it, you know, am I in a good spot and I should be able to like keep this consistent? Um, there's fueling. I'm a big believer of like fueling properly. I, I don't, I don't know how people don't eat throughout the day. I eat constantly. Um, so it's kind of making sure that you're putting in the right food um, in your body, um, hydrating throughout the day. Uh, there's just so many different small pieces. So it's like each individual, like what are they doing? That is it, you know, do they do all the little things? Are they not doing all the little things? Uh, looking at training, where's your mileage? You know, how did you feel off of that training? Uh, injury prevention is a big thing background of mine since I used to also work at a physical therapy clinic um, before working at the running store. So, you know, are you focusing on your weaknesses to then be able to build upon and make them stronger so that you can be stronger the next time you race? Uh, And I will say too, right now with track season only just beginning, this is where I really want them. Like, I don't want them running through any type of pain if they have it. I want them focusing on those little things that might have bothered them during cross country because this is when we can make the most changes. Um, and then as a female, uh, there's the getting blood work done. Uh, I've seen so I've had actually already so many instances of being anemic, um, you know, having the low irons, uh, the low ferritin levels. I feel like once you fix that, I'm actually been working with a freshman on the team too. We've been working on fixing her. Uh, and then we have another lady got just recently got diagnosed with the low levels. So once you fix those, like, things just start really coming together too. Like you're not (laughs) running into a brick wall all the time. Mm. So um, yeah, there's so many pieces to that uh, of fixing that. For sure. Yeah. So I like that. And a lot of things that you mentioned are things that are within your control, right? Like if you have within control, like you should think about a strategy of what you can do to to improve those things. That Mm -hmm. that definitely makes sense. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Just another thing thing with you saying in control uh, uh, is that, I always try to prepare them mentally for races that it's going to be worst case scenario. Like it's going to be muddy. It's going to be really cold out. It's going to rain. It's going to be really windy. In that case then too, when we go to that race seat or race course, all right, wow, it's actually sunny out. There's not as much wind as we thought. And the footing might be still a little slippery, but it's not as bad as we thought. This is a better case scenario. And so you're kind of preparing for the worst, but you're ready for better than too. In college, I think back when it, someone asked me the other day, like, what, what would you do different or how could you do things differently? Or And I think the hardest thing uh, is to realize your potential. And I know it sounds cheesy, but like, I don't think people like really 
they're not they're not thinking big enough, <clears throat> you know. And yeah. and uh, you know, I think that sometimes everyone's guilty of that, at, in, whether it's running or, or something else. You know, to think big, think big, and uh, you know, I'm sure it's a challenge as a college, you know, because you have these kids who come in, and and I had we had a our second man, really our best guy is a, was a friend of mine. He was a walk on that that just. What, for whatever reason, wasn't training like, you know, some of the other schools were or didn't have teammates to run with. And all of a sudden, boom, it's like, um, you know, so once you, once you get a little taste, sometimes mm-hmm. it helps. And, you know, with that said, like, what do you, so now here you are, well, you're roughly 30 years old, mm-hmm. about, um, you know, there's, you still have a lot of years of running in front of you. And do you, do you have you thought about like long term, like, oh, well, here I am. You've only run, what, four marathons? Yeah, and I guess I would say only two of them successfully. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so if you really think about it, when it comes to distance running, you know, like thinking big and you have you thought in that way, like down the road, like, hey, maybe in five years I want to run 230 or 235 or what, what do you have like long term, what, what's going on? It's scary to say this because I've actually never like said this out loud, probably only to my husband, but based on how I felt, (laughs) you write it down right now. I know. Um, (laughs) But based on how I felt at Indianapolis, like I really feel a sub 240 is possible. Um, But I think I still need a little bit more experience with the distance and just being able to like during training runs when I'm doing marathon specific training, being able to hold a pace, you know, for you know multiple miles like that to show myself that it's possible. Uh, I don't think sub 240 would happen at Atlanta just because of the course. I think that I could PR, but I think you know it's just kind of realistically with those hills uh, that everyone keeps talking about. Again, I have to kind of look more closely to the course. I think it's two eight mile loops and then a ten mile loop that the course consists of, but so whatever hill you go over, you go over it multiple times, uh, hmm. in that sense. <laughs> um, Interesting. but yeah, yeah no, I would say, and then, I mean, I used to say once I plateau with my running that I would get into triathlons, but the more I think about it, I really don't think I could get past the open water swim. <laughs> like, that just scares me. Um, I don't, I, whatever things are in the water is scary. Hearing about people <laughs> like pushing others down into the water, like that scares doesn't me. Happen. Doesn't um, happen. this is another thing I really fine. haven't said too much out loud, but Rich, I've actually really been intrigued by like the Spartan obstacle Woo! races and stuff. OCR, yeah, let's go. But this is years later, like obviously running, I still have a lot more to build up with the marathon distance, but, um, I don't know. I, I've, I'm a big believer with strength training too, with running. So I feel like I'm hoping that kind of could carry through a little bit. I know there's a lot of training involved with that, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But you're fit enough and you're a good enough athlete. You would have no problem <laughs> translating it over. And like, yeah, but like you are just still on the upward trajectory of this marathon thing. So who knows? You know, like who knows where this thing's gonna go and then how how much better you're gonna get. And I'm I'm so excited to see your journey. I've been following it for a while. Um, and yeah, I, I was thrilled to see that you that you were able to uh, to um, to make that happen. So um, yeah, I don't want to take up your whole day, but uh, where can people kind of find you just so they can follow along too? Because um, you got big things coming. Yeah, I mean, I'm 
mostly on Twitter, or not Twitter, on Instagram. Um, so it's the CMB9725, which is same. It's old. been for years before the, <laughs> before the marriage, after marriage, same initials. It's great. Yeah. yeah. But the, yeah, that was a, a college email address. And uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll just create this. So I probably won't use this social media platform. And now it's one of my favorite ones. So, uh, but I really not really on much of the other, um, you know, I, I, periodically watch, look at Twitter, but I don't really post anything on there. Um, my athletes have been talking about TikTok. I, I still don't even understand what that is. Um, John, so could you explain it to her? <laughs> is he on TikTok? No, the one that's, I don't know all these stories. And I, Rich was making fun of me because it, I was, what I thought, I thought like your Facebook page was your story. Like, why is there a story <laughs> on top of the story? <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I don't really post my stories on the Facebook. Uh, Yeah, I just keep it to more Instagram. But Instagram is probably my favorite. Uh, I might try to get back into my Strava uh, account, but I just need to. Are you on Strava? I I have Strava. I actually don't even know if it's my actual. I know my name probably is on that, but I don't know if if it's, you know, I'm sure if you type in Crystal Bacon, it might pop up. Um, but I don't know yeah, what the chance you're, there's not a lot of those in there. So no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got um, that going for you. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll follow along. Are they, are they broadcasting? How do they broadcast the trials? Do they, do they broadcast them? I would imagine it's like something with flow track maybe, or I don't know, maybe yeah. not flow track. I don't know if, um, if NBC Sports has the Olympic channel. Maybe they'll pick it up. Oh, maybe. I don't know all that maybe information. Cool and that might be some of the emails I haven't, uh, read fully yet like i glanced at but i still need to kind of uh try to go through all of those uh information pieces and there's from what i understand too the the emails i got were ones that were forwarded from being sent out previously they still have more information coming out too uh about everything Uh, crystal you haven't run today so that's another reason why we should probably cut this short i'm I'm (laughs) now calling on strava and you have zero zero for the week (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying. I need to connect it because I did run already today. So I am back. Actually, today was my first day running. Uh, Not first day running, but kind of the first, like, following the calendar. Um, So I've got a 50-minute run in. Um, But But if if it's not on Strava, (laughs) I guess I got to get back on Strava now. (laughs) What did you say? I don't even know. I don't don't think you're connected at all because I see zeros. For, no, I'm saying I Different haven't posted bacon. in a while, so I probably secret. found the correct one. Um, but I will, I guess, after this podcast, I will post again on Strava, just so that you can see what I want to see what you're doing, man. I'm, I'm serious. <laughs> I want to see what you're doing. Yeah, John, put right. your Strava too. What's your Strava name? It's it's John Williams. Um, <laughs> the, the third? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, it just it just says John Williams on here, so I might be hard to find. You got the John Williams on Strava? I don't know. Is there a screen name? I don't even know. I don't. That's what I don't know either. I don't know either. <laughs> Let me see. I'm seeing John one. Williams in West Palm Beach, Florida. I don't know if there's many of those, but well, let's let's uh, let's get Crystal on her way. Um, but this is awesome. This is really great. Congratulations on uh, on the on the trials. Uh, you know, I'm sure it's gonna be it's gonna be a blast just being there. You know, like even if you decide you just want to go down there and take it all in. Um, it's definitely, I want to make sure I take in the full experience, but uh, yeah. Yeah, I also want to make sure I'm not, you know, I don't want to get last. That's my big goal. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Yeah. And there's, there's, I mean, it seems like it's almost less pressure now. Like the way yeah. it's kind of like the, like the way your sounds, you know, it seems like it was getting there, getting there, getting there. And now the pressure's off. You can just let loose and just 
make yeah. it happen. Oh, absolutely. So, I'm excited. Yeah. And I can't, I can't seem to find my, uh, my URL on Strava. I'll share that next time. Um, <laughs> cool guys. Uh, well, that'll, that's it for Crystal. Follow her along, follow that journey. Go, go bears. Your sinus bears. All right.